Hey folks, Dr. DeVoe here. How's it going? When uh, I reached out to today's guest, I was thinking he may not be interested. You know, it's a bit of a stretch to bring a comedian and musician to a higher education podcast. But when I reached out, he was absolutely game for it. Hundreds of thousands of people watch my guest, Brittle Star. Um, his real name is Stuart Reynolds, videos every week. But his videos have been seen more than 600 million times with an M on various platforms. His new book, Welcome to the Stupid Apocalypse: Survival Tips for the Dumbageddon, is absolutely perfect for this time of year. When it feels like every day brings one or 100 examples of stupidity bubbling up in the inner workings of campus life. And let's not shoulder the stupidity burden on students, administrators, parents, faculty, and even presidents and chancellors can be active contributors to the stupid apocalypse. If you are a habitual consumer of my content, uh, you may know that I love comedy and performed as a stand-up comedian for seven years. Laughing and laughter are something that I believe is a gift. Laughter unclogs my mind, and I'm not BSing here. Try it. Rather than start your day with news or responding to email, start your day with laughter. Put on a comedy album. Tune up the comedy channel on satellite tele, uh, satellite radio. Do it for a week, every day. Try it. I promise your outlook will be better. Okay, now let's meet Brittle Star. Well, thank you for being here. I'm very thank excited you. to have well, you. I'm excited to be here as well. I'm a little nervous, but I'm excited though as well. Why are you nervous? Well, I don't, I, tr I feel like I, I hear the words higher education and I start to panic slightly. You would think someone from Canada where the higher education system is actually affordable wouldn't panic. Well, except I'd been kicked out of higher education. So, <laughs> so tell us about that. <laughs> you want to start let's, there? Let's start there. <laughs> Well, let's see. It all starts. I had a, my post-secondary experience was initially with, as an ECE student, so early childhood education student. Okay. And I did that for a year. It was, okay. a, it was a two-year program. And my dad thought I was insane. He was like, there's no money in this. And I was, I was literally only doing this because my girlfriend at the time was going on to law school. She was very academically minded. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to school too. And I worked with a bunch of kids. It was great. And I, I how people say they teach and they, they love the kids, but they hate the job or whatever. Yeah. I hate I hated the kids. I hated <laughs> them. There was like two kids that I liked. The rest of them could all go to hell. They're all like 33 <laughs> years old. And I had to get out of it. And also I was like one of two guys in the program and yeah. I was getting, I was really, really, it grew to the thin the amount of times we had one professor who would say, well, most men think this. And she'd look at me and I'd be like, do I look like most men? Look around the room. <laughs> I'm the only dude here. I'm the only dude here. <laughs> I've already synced up with yeah. these other women here. Yeah. All that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. And then I went on from there for, to a philosophy major at uh, Wilfrid Laurier University. And then we moved to Kingston, myself and my girlfriend turned wife, and okay. uh, she went to law school. And I continued my philosophy studies at Queens University. And then and then she started uh, sleeping with someone else. And so I <laughs> just got distracted and ended up getting kicked out of university. Okay. That's my story. 
that you know what that works thanks that, it tracks and that's why you got into it tracks it tracks because now you're in you're you do comedy and humor and yeah. insight so you have the philosophy background where it says i got to think this through exactly and then you have the the tragedy background yes. that actually helps to fuel your comedy that's the mo it's the laughter that comes moments before breaking down in tears exactly yeah. well yeah. and that's that's what happens because if we're not laughing we're crying Exactly. And, and I, I actually do truly believe that one of the best, most cathartic cries is when you're laughing so hard, you, you cry I and, agree. and then the screaming starts and yeah. it's just, you feel much better. So there we go. We need to do that every day. So Stuart, can I call you Stuart or do you want me Absol to call you? you? You can call me Stuart. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so Stuart, it is actually a pleasure to have you here. And I think that on this podcast, we bring in lots of higher education thought leaders and professionals and that sort of thing. But then every so often, I like to throw a curveball at my audience and you're a curveball. What you're saying is normally you bring in a lot of smart people. And no. every now and then as a control, you Most bring in some people. idiot. Well, you see, this is where this is why I wanted to talk to you is that okay. we in higher education think we're very smart people. Sure. But as you say in, in the introduction to your book is we are all stupid. We all do mm -hmm. dumb things. It's true. And we are not very good at, at admitting that even in this environment where we're so allegedly smart, we make these these really bad decisions and 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 well, frankly, when we make a bad decision, it has the youth of tomorrow. That's right. Uh, they're they're the victims of our bad decisions. So, yeah. and and I find a lot of inspiration in my daily life. I call it. Remember the movie Working Girl with Melanie sure. Griffith and, yeah. and Harrison, Ford? Harrison Ford. I call it work. I tell my graduate students. I said every so often I have a working girl moment, and they're mm -hmm. and now they're so young. Like it gets to the point you they can't no make re references anymore no. because. 18 to 22 year olds definitely yeah. are not understanding it. And then 22 yeah. to 28 year olds are probably not either. But I, I show them a clip from the movie and I say, I'm having a working girl moment where I kind of say Trask radio, Trask radio. Like I, I see something happening and I said, this is totally relevant to what we do every day. And when I saw your book and the book's title is, hold on, I'm going to mess it up. Um, you you give me the title because I'm just going to call it the Stupid Apocalypse book. That's but right. It that's is, It's Welcome to the Stupid Apocalypse: Survival Tips for the Dumbageddon. That's right. <laughs> I I am full on eyeball deep in the Dumbageddon because <laughs> I see students and I had a I had a, a former colleague of mine at one point. He was my football coach, American mm -hmm. football coach. Okay. And he goes, when my guys show up on campus, they're like puppies. And they're running around in a circle and they're pissing on themselves. And my yeah. job is to make sure that by the time they're done with the first season, they're not pissing on themselves anymore. <laughs> and that's, it's, it's an insightful thought. <laughs> it is. It is. It seems, it makes a post-secondary education seem wildly uh, too expensive if it's all you're getting is toilet training. Yeah, that's but right. Exactly. That, well, yeah, it's, it's too expensive meta anyway. Metaphorical toilet training. I get it. <laughs> but when you, so you have uh, children who are, aged appropriately for the, do you have kids in college? Yeah. There's our oldest son is done. He's finished university and our youngest son is in his last year of university. That's exactly. Great. Yeah. And, and so how do you, do you ever look at them and go besides the fact that I, mean, I look, I have a 16 year old and, and I right. look at my daughter and I say, God damn, she is so smart. Yeah. So much smarter than me. Oh my and God. And then there's days like today where she's like, where are the cups? And I'm like, <laughs> have you checked your room? <laughs> And there's 
a dozen well, of them. You I know? mean, I think I feel I think you're right, but I think that's one of the things that fascinates me with looking at my kids and then watching them grow up is their ability to discern and to differentiate and prioritize information really, really quickly. Right. So, like, right. for the sake of your daughter and knowing where the cups are, what well, well, I only need to know that when I need a cup. That's yeah. Yes. Why would I make, why would I maintain that information in my head? It's like I had a friend who uh, made a joke one time. I can't remember what it was we were referring to specifically, but it was about learning some new piece of information. He's like, no, no, no. I push that in and I lose a phone number. I can't, I can't afford, I can't afford that. <laughs> I'm at the point in my life where I take a picture of my car because I can't remember the license plate number. And I also cannot remember oh, yeah. where to park it. Absolutely. So I, I have. I, I have an entire folder on my phone because your iPhone now compiles everything. So all the light yes. pictures, they're like, would you like to save this as a file? I'm like, no, I don't want to save <laughs> pictures of rental cars from around the country. <laughs> exactly. It's a, not even rental cars. Stuart. It's Just your my own car. It is, it is a Ford Escape and it's my okay. green Ford Escape. And oh, that's, that's what more, it is. But I can't remember telling. what it is. And, and if I remember, I'll, I'll forget something important like sure. my medication. So exactly. When, <laughs> so when it came to writing this book, is this your first book? It is. It's, it's a first published book. I did a self published book about 10 years ago, 13 years ago, which did okay, actually, but it was very early days for self published books and it was mainly just a Kindle type of thing. Yeah. yeah. But it was like a middle grade reader, whereas this is a nonfiction book of essays. Yeah. Okay. And, and the, the sub, the subtitle survival tips for the dumb again, when you mm -hmm. decided to provide people with these survival tips, when, what inspired you to get this going? I mean, did you, was it what you were witnessing? I know you're very prolific on social media. You have an mm -hmm. extraordinarily successful YouTube channel, all that, but you interact. I mean, the space of I mean, one of the things you write about in the book, and I, I literally was yelling out loud going, yes, when someone <laughs> it responds to your tweet or your post or you know, whatever, whatever hellscape you happen to be sitting yeah. on that day. And they have five followers and you're yeah. like, I want to rip this person's juggler out. Yeah. yeah. And then you say it is not pump the brakes. It's not worth my time. Absolutely. What, in, what inspired you to actually sit down and write something down that will be a service to the world. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's pretty lofty. I think what's been really fascinating for me over the past, I've been doing this for 10 years now, and certainly in the past sort of six to seven years, I've realized that one of those skills that you sort of like, as you get older, you go, maybe I can do this. And it turns out you can do something is, yeah. is like taking information, processing it, and then kind of digesting it and spitting it back out like a like a bird does to its baby birds. <laughs> I don't want to say that I'm thinking of people who consume my content as baby birds, but there you go. But I mean, it's it's I think I'm constantly trying to simplify things in my head all yeah. the time. Yeah. And I thought, well, maybe I can use that for good rather than just evil. Right. And that, that kind of made me think, okay, maybe it's worthwhile me sort of like taking these larger issues. Like when things got really weird politically in the States in 2016, I was suddenly went from, I had no interest in politics, but it went from politics to like ethical, moral things. It was like, well, yeah. wait a minute. Now we're just getting really weird. We're not talking about fiscal policy. We're talking right. about people's right to be themselves and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and you nonsense. talk about one of your video essays and I'm sorry for interrupting. You talk about accountability no, no. Yeah, and how accountability is almost this, this I, I see 
ex-politician, whether it be mm. our former president or somebody else, and you say, where is their accountability that's going to happen? Now they're finally going to be held responsible. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I, I said, let cue me up when it actually happens. I know, I know. But right now I don't see that. But I think that also then trickles down to people who are not world leaders. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've part of my, my past life of my job. So I've done everything from be a college professor, a graduate school professor, all the way to, I was that person in the dormitory who had to say to somebody, don't do something. Now yeah. that you've done your stupid shit, I'm the person you have to meet with. Right. And, and, and there was a period of time. And I think you and I are, are about the same age yeah. is that there was a period of time, at least in my, my life where it's like when an, when an administrator or a teacher said you did something and your parents found out shit hit the fan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now it's all a, a big doubting game of, of what that person did. And my, and you'll hear students come in and say, my parents aren't going to care. My parents don't Just hold me accountable. Crazy. And, and that I think only makes the dumbageddon mm. worse. Yeah. Because that lack of accountability is it, you need some self-awareness. And I think that there is there is this lacking of self-awareness. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm a big proponent for people to be individuals and independent. And one of the things that Americans are excellent at is that sort of can do they'll, they'll look, they'll see the upsides and the opportunities and kind yeah. of go for those. And that's really important. And it's really been vital for life on the planet. And I'm, I'm a proponent of that, but I think there's also what's missing in that accountability is, is essentially realizing in the past seven years, six, seven years, it's like all these things that you thought were hard and fast rules weren't actually hard and fast rules. They were just all gentlemen's agreements, just kind of yeah. like, let's just all be nice because it's the nice thing to do. Yeah. And then someone that just has to go, well, I'll benefit if I don't do that. So what's my consequence? Nothing. Okay, whatever. That was the biggest scary part for me. And that was kind of one of the the impetus for the this kind of book was that idea of, uh, I don't want to say a return to that kind of protocol or return to that, but this an idea that there's, there's, a, there's a system that's bigger than you, that's bigger than just the laws. It's like, we're just trying to not be dicks to each other. Yeah. <laughs> and if we can do that, we're winning. That's a good yeah. thing. Yeah. It's, it's that when you have this layer of, do you have to make everything into an argument? Can we just, yeah. we, is there an agreement to disagree on something? Yeah. And we are completely incapable of that anymore. And I think, yeah. you know, as we look at young people and, and this is like traditional age students, I mean, I, I, we do get in our university systems here in the United States, people who are career changers and things like that. Sure. And, yep. and that sort of thing. And I'm not necessarily going to be able to be as malleable to folks who have done, they, they're, they're 45 years old and they've raised children and now they're finally yeah. getting their degree. But when we talk about your traditional age students, there's that, that idea. And I think one of the chapters in your book, you talk about your, you're not your child and your child mm -hmm. isn't you. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's what scares parents a lot. Sure. 
is that the kid's going to go off and they're going to turn into something else. And it used to be coloring their hair and now it's changing their political party. And (laughs) they worry about these things happening and they no longer, what do you mean you're a vegan? Like I literally, I mean, I got to the point in my career where I made, there were certain days of the academic calendar where I would just block it off because I knew my phone would just be lighting up from calls from home. Right. And one of those would be when students would return back to campus from Thanksgiving holiday. And I would get the phone calls from parents who had this laundry list of things (laughs) that I was doing. I personally was doing to change their child. Right. And, and that sort of thing. And, and, and it was, well, that's, she's changed. Well, well, that's what happens when someone develops as an adult, they do change. Are you the same person you were at 18? That's not what we're talking about right yeah. now. And there's there's that piece. And I, I think that, at least in the States, our parents have a lot of investment in the child. Sure. And I know that I've talked at some conferences and been on campuses up in Canada. And, and it's mm-hmm. it was a very different environment when I was up there. And it was it was actually very funny. I was at a conference in of higher education professionals, Canadian higher education professionals out in in Vancouver. It was okay. for the whole country. Yeah. But the, the conference was in Vancouver. And frankly, it was the only reason I went to the conference because they're like, this year it's in <laughs> Vancouver. The next year it's going to be in someplace that I had absolutely like a moose jaw. And I was like, no, right. right, but I will go to Vancouver. I'm in Vancouver. And my, the favorite question I had was, can I ask you about a U.S. higher education? Yes. I will speak for the entire nation. The American. Yes. I'm the American. Yeah. Will you, can I, we ask you one question? Yes. What's the difference between a college and a university? Well, so yeah. we, that was a thing. But one of the other things that I think was interesting from a, but ethnocentrism kind of standpoint mm-hmm. was we had a lot more issues with parents in the United right. States than the right. Canadian folk. Can you answer, speaking for Canada. Yeah, for the entire nation. I, for the absolutely. entire nation. What are you doing right with <laughs> raising your children and letting them just be themselves? Oh, man. I think that there's there's still a generational assumption that your kids are going to be smarter than you and will hopefully fix things so that when you're old, decrepit, and incontinent, you won't have to worry about it. So I think there's kind of that idea. And I think that the part of that is that the acceptance that your kids are going to be independent thinkers. They're going to maybe have some views that are slightly a bit wacky compared yeah. to what you, you might've thought were the norm or whatever, but they're kind of open to it, which is really interesting actually thinking about that because my mother is an immigrant. So she's from Scotland. So a white immigrant, so really the easiest kind. Yeah. And she, she moved to Canada with my dad when they were 21 and 24 and very much kind of adopted into this North American lifestyle and this and then in the 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 value of having your kids wanting to be make sure they're better than you and all that kind of stuff, which really isn't necessarily or wasn't necessarily the case in Scotland at the time. It was kind of like you get a a job as a shipbuilder because I was a shipbuilder and that's it. Right. Or in my case, my dad's dad was a printer, in which case that meant he became a printer, which meant that if I would have stayed there, I would have been a printer and all that kind of stuff. There's nothing wrong with being a printer, but it, it's not based on advancement or reaching for something you don't have. Um, And my mother is, she's got some, she would probably think, I'm sure she thinks that we have some wacky views, myself, my sister and, and such. 
but she also sees the fact that her views might be getting a little dated and wacky. So she's eager to kind of, she'll say things or she'll be about to say things. And, and myself, my wife, Shannon, I'll be like, Oh God, keep it quiet. <laughs> keep it quiet. Keep it quiet. Keep it quiet. Okay. She said that here's why you can't say that. And then you do explain it to her. And she's like, Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. well, my day. I know in your day it was different. That's different. <laughs> But I think that that's, that's a, I don't know if that's necessarily a Canadian thing, but I think it's just the idea of you're, you're kind of trying to create a better world than you grew up in. And you do that right. by making sure your kids know more and think more. And you don't, you don't sort of like get in the way of that too much because I mean, they just, they're evidently smarter. I think yeah. most of them. Well, and I think it's, it's also interesting to me from a, from a global scale, this idea of it's not only the United States anymore that mm-hmm. acts. It, like a bunch of idiots. It's, sure. it's a global phenomenon. Yeah. I, I have friends who are expats living in like countries throughout Europe, Australia, New Zealand, and they're like, it's everywhere. It's, mm-hmm. it's this idea. And you talk about the megaphone. You say everyone's yeah. got a megaphone and, and it's, it's not a literal thing, but it is, a, but it is a, a, a digital literal, literal sure. thing. What, what kind of got you? moving in that direction was there something you had an interaction with online what what did you what do you see well i think what's fascinating about social media is that you're essentially like we take it for granted now but if yeah. you go back 20 years you realize that it's like you're publishing something like it used to be a big deal in the 90s for people to have blog sites and stuff yeah and these blog posts were initially dis- disregarded or whatever but then it suddenly was like oh but it's on the dredge report or something and it's on something serious and it became they became published pieces of information and i think that we still are learning the notion that not just because something's published air quotes doesn't necessarily mean that it's accurate <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean that it's worth paying attention to you had mentioned earlier about the, me saying responding to a comment with someone who has like five followers. That's no con- – that's no – I'm not referring to the fact that they have five followers. That's immaterial. That doesn't right. matter. If they're horrible and they have five followers, I have no interest in amplifying them and, and saying, hey, buddy, that spotlight I worked for 10 years to get, here's some of it. Share yeah, it. Exactly. It's, 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 take, just spew your horrendous vitriol to the crowd. Spray them all. They love it. <laughs> and I think that there's – there's this idea of like, just because it's a social media post doesn't mean that it's worthwhile listening to. And I think that's been really hard for people to get around. I think that you see a lot of the misinformation that was going through the pandemic, misinformation that was you know was happening in U.S. politics and Canadian politics and British politics, U.K. politics. No. Um, it's because, well, so-and-so saw this online. Right. Oh, okay. What what yeah. does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. Well, you can't mean trust anything. mainstream media. Oh, but you can't trust some dude who's like <laughs> gobbler six nine six nine. You're gonna trust somebody's Uncle Larry who yeah. has he he just kind of came up with this while he was walking the dog. And listen, yeah. to the thing Uncle Larry might be right in some cases. Yeah. That might be the case. The, the, the thing is, is that he has to be corroborated, and he has to be the story that has to be backed by actual evidence and he was really good about doing that is journalists they're really good at that kind of thing (laughs) they go to school for that they do and they they can lose their jobs and everything exactly i i that was my undergraduate degree was in journalism right and there was always this requirement when i had my when i worked briefly in journalism it was you have to have three sources i mean that was like the thing yeah and i do have sometimes now where i go 
a source isn't a Twitter post. Like I'm, no. I, I need you, I need you to up the game a little bit journalists, because that sure. would really make me feel like I spent my money wisely <laughs> on my degree. This is not about you. This is about me, but you know, I, 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 I think that that idea of that, we are all trying to become influencers as I'm sitting here interviewing sure. you on my podcast. But I mean, let's be, as I'm, I'm being yeah. honest to myself right now, but this idea of like this influencer culture and even there was a survey that came out last year in the United States that was asking high school kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? An influencer mm. was one of the top things. Yeah. And I'm like, could we maybe go back to when everybody wanted to be an NBA center? I mean, like that's <laughs> <laughs> at least at least you got to work. <laughs> it's, I know it's, I mean, yeah. there's, there's so many things happening. And I always think that there's, I was thinking about this recently about how, Technology plays a massive part in the movement and advancement of society, human society. And you know, you think back to the fifties and when vinyl and records became a thing, it suddenly you got to listen to bands that you would never have a chance to hear live. And then you advance further to like when I started doing social media video posts and like full time in 2013. It was literally because 4G had become an option for people and the technology of smartphones was able, allowed you to watch and record videos and broadcast them mm-hmm. and, or send them out. And you just couldn't do that before. That's why, that's why this all was created is because of technology. Yeah. And I think that we're still to the credit and uh, somewhat defensive journalism, I guess. One of the biggest issues we have right now, and certainly it's evident in Canada is you've like, there's no way that an actual journalist story about whatever piece of news should be competing with a video about of mine about the fact that summer is not technically over. <laughs> I mean, it's this, uh, what I'm creating is entertaining. Hopefully yeah. it's yeah. providing utility for people and that it's providing a smile, a distraction or whatever yeah. moment to ponder. I yeah. don't know something, yeah. but I do not need to, that does not need to compete for clicks with no. the war in Ukraine or something. No. This is, these are two different things entirely, but I think a lot of journalists are under the gun. And I know I've spoken to journalists and friends who are journalists and it's all like, well, I got to get clicks. I got, I, my editor says we have to get clicks. And it's yeah. like, this is, this is why you end up with these news stories where it's like, like America's in an uproar over Machine Gun Kelly's new nipple piercing. <laughs> and it's because three people put out a tweet saying it. Yeah. That's it. But anyway, yeah, it needs to be fixed. I think it will be fixed. I, so. Well, I think it, 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 there needs to be a space where clicks don't matter as much. I think it, it's, there's also a point of exhaustion. Sure. People are like, I, I just, I don't want to see it again. I've seen the same story 15 yeah. times. Yeah. And I'm like, there's a story about, it's floating around right now about a late night television host here in the States yes. and that he's apparently not a, a nice boss. And I said, mm-hmm. okay, I read it once. Yeah. And it literally is coming up time. And t- I'm like, okay, kids, we yeah. need, we have other things we got to talk about. And this exactly. is, let's, let's let the HR office at that network deal with it. We got other yeah. shit to deal, deal with it. I think that the, that as I, I think about this idea of where we are from a stupidity standpoint and, mm-hmm. and going back to this idea of like, we've all made mistakes. I mean, sure. I, I, I love to tell people about the dumbass stuff I used to do, Absolutely. Like, whether it be by design or because like, all right. So I was in college. I was, I tell people this. I was a college <laughs> mascot. Like I actually wow. willingly put a suit on. Okay. 
I was dressed as a terrier, a dog. Okay. So I was a Boston University undergraduate and their like, like mascot a, is the Boston Terrier. Standing on its hind legs terrier. And, yes. Which, which is already flawed. Like the, the idea well, that a, that a terrier is walking around up on its hind legs is, is, they're you know. fairly trainable. Yeah. <laughs> they are. They are. They are pretty good dogs. Very loyal. And, when the institution, the, the, going back to basketball, the, the men's basketball team mm-hmm. made it to the first round of the NCAA basketball okay. tournament, which in okay. this country is a big freaking deal. deal. Yeah, absolutely. So we went down to the, the game and it was in North Carolina. We were playing Duke in the first round. We mm-hmm. were not going to win this game. Sure. And, but we're there. I've never seen so many people in my life. It was like a big deal. And I'm there in my terrier costume. Right. And just I by am chance. just by chance. And, <laughs> and there is the Duke blue devil in their costume. And <gasps> oh he was God. very tall. I'm, I'm five, three on a good day. Yeah. Stuart, and with the ears on, maybe I was five, five, but right. I was short. The, yeah. de- the blue devil was very tall. Yeah. And I hope I know where this is going. I hope oh, I know oh, where it's you, going. Okay. So it's the middle of, and he kept picking on me as about how short I was. So he would right. pantomime and all God, this stuff. That's so blue devil. And he was such a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He was living, he was living the devil dream. Yeah. So it's a timeout. I'm in the middle of the court doing my little dance like mascots do. Yeah. And he comes out on his knees <gasps> and he's like, you're short, you're short. So I'm a dog. So I'm embodying the dog. Yeah. As you do. As you do. And I decided he looks like a fire hydrant. So I am going to lift my leg. Yes. And on national television. It's a good joke. I did this. (laughs) My father (gasps) is watching in New York. Okay. And he, and so I get, so now this is 1988, maybe, maybe something like that. He's gathered the whole family around the TV set. Oh yeah. There's, there's no replay on, on YouTube or anything like that, but there's also no cell phone. So a couple days later, now we've, we get, we lose the game day, two days go by. I finally get back to my dorm and there's a, there's a message on my answering (laughs) machine. From my father, and he's, I can't believe you pissed on the <laughs> on national television. That was pretty great. And I said, and I'm listening. He goes, I'm damn proud of you. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's right? good. But that's but also in this day and age, that would have blown up. <laughs> yes. That yeah. Exactly. Exactly. For all the wrong that- reasons, but I mean, now I look at this, I say. Was that a good idea? Well, it depends on my mood. There's days yeah. I say that yeah. wasn't a good idea. There's yeah. days I say it was. Yeah. But I mean, and- like life, life isn't made better by good ideas. No, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and when you're talking to young people about the mistakes you make. Yeah. Does that make you more human? Human? Yeah. And more. I think it yeah. does. I think, I think because. Again, going back to social media, I think the fact that the, the generation that's grown up with social media and became young adults is, with social media is there's a, sometimes a, a perception or a perspective that says that you have to stand by everything you're doing. So I think the first example that was like even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 
people would be like haunted by these things they said when they were eight and nine. And it's like, <laughs> get it. Like who? And, and, and I, there was like a whole, it wasn't just kids who were upset about it. I understand kids thinking this is terrible because it feels like when you're posting something now, this is the same reason I won't get a tattoo. It feels like when you're posting something now, that's how you're going to feel forever. It's like, that's not, right. it's just not how life works. There's too many variables. Too many things are changing. And it's just not how it works. But even there was still, there's still adults who are like, I can't believe that person said that when they were 10. I can't believe they did this when they were 15. It's like, oh my God, like just, God. just don't worry about it. Like this, unless no. they're still doing it today, <laughs> it's right. not an issue. Well, and, well, and I was just going to say that you think that my only hope is that it's so social media is so prevalent now that it used to be like, remember like five or so years ago, maybe a little longer that people would go out for jobs and they would scrub their social media presence entirely. That's a, that'd be a red flag for me. If you're oh, applying yeah. <laughs> for a job with me and it's like, can, okay, let's look this person up. They've got no Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. They have no accounts. Yeah. Okay. Obviously a raging racist and a Nazi. <laughs> you wouldn't, I want everyone's mistakes to be out there. Yeah. And it used to kind of be like that. I remember going for a job with, I was the resident graphic designer for a health unit which is an odd job now, but I was a student. And I remember there was just like pictures of my boss who was this like probably 30 year old woman. And she had pictures of her holiday. And of course there was topless pictures. And she's like, oh, well, don't look at those. Don't look at those. And it's like, yeah, okay. I'm not going to look at those. That's fine. I mean, I I didn't think like, oh my God, she goes around taking topless pictures. I know. Like like, who cares? Who cares? Well, and especially in in specific environments where that's, not a big deal. We're yeah. we're very prudish here in the sure. states. Yeah, yeah. And in a weird way. In a in a demented and yeah. messed up way. Yeah. Like like to the point where breastfeeding women are are yelled at and that sort of yeah. thing. I'm like, she's feeding a child. Yeah. I think also, we need to stop. Also, the only country I've ever been asked, which Shannon and I find fascinating, is we get asked in the states, "Do you drink? Oh, yeah. <laughs> do you drink?" Like not as a career, not as a career. I, I might have something to drink. <laughs> do you drink? Do you do it? And it, the, well, we, <laughs> there was this, when I was in, so we do things, we, we do things through a prudish and risk yeah. management lens at, at right. all times. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is my other, I was up in Canada. I was yeah. at, I was touring several institutions up there in Montreal. I was okay. at McGill. Yeah. University of Montreal and Concordia. Okay. And we were gathering information on how y'all do stuff. And, okay. and I came back to campus and I said, we're never able to do any of this because A, we don't have national medicine. B, we right. are too afraid and C, we're not cool enough. But anyway, <laughs> the, but we were at the University of Montreal and this, it was summertime. And one of the things that happens on every college campus in the world is summertime's sure. Children are on campuses because they run camps and sure. things like that. Yeah. And you're going to have to remind me, but the Montreal hosted which Olympics? The 70... 76. 60, 76. 76. 76. 76. Yeah. And so their athletic center was built as part of the build out for the Olympic yeah. Games. Yeah. And we're being toured around this. And it's huge. It like, is. as As you would imagine. And there was a gym and there were children. I I am Stuart. I am known to exaggerate, but I am not exaggerating. When I tell you, there were literally children getting shot out of a cannon in this gym. 
All and right. they were they were doing tra- tram- trampolines and trapezes and all kinds of stuff. And right. and I am I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, it's like a Cirque du Soleil kind of camp. Yeah. And I said, yeah. this would never, <laughs> ever fly in the United States. And they're they're like, oh, but it's so wonderful for the children, and and it's all through an interpreter because at University of Montreal sure. they all speak French. All French. Like, yeah, are, exactly. We are not going to play like at McGill. Yeah. We did both Concordia. Yeah. We did English. University of Montreal, just French. Okay, yeah. and I'm like, but you don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> we we have to sign a waiver to hand out a paintbrush. There is sure. not a chance in hell that this yeah. would ever happen, and. And I think that there's this, there's this thing of like, I, I actually went away thinking they're going to be better off. These children are actually mm. going to be less stupid mm. growing up in an environment where risk taking because the, the countries, so we say kind of tolerance for risk is higher. Like where we're like, no, like we I need. Think- oh. I think we're, it's because we're a way less litigious society yeah. than the U.S. is. Like we, there's, that's, I mean, I remember my, we were on holiday in Hawaii, my mom and dad, my sister and I in 1988. And the first morning we were in Kauai, my mom stepped outside the resort, slipped and broke her leg. The first morning, it was oh. horrible. So we went to this medical clinic. It was the first time I'd ever seen a visa and a MasterCard sign on the door of a, a, a health place. It was like, what the hell's that for? And went in there and it was like 6,000 bucks to get my yeah. mom checked out and to get this brace on her leg and oh, whatever. And anyway, everyone with all the other Americans that were at this place with us as well, they're like, sue them. This yeah, is it. Exactly. Sue them, sue, <laughs> them, sue, sue the them. hell out of them. And my dad and mom were like, well, I mean, she tripped. It yeah. wasn't like they pushed her. Yeah. Like she yeah. tripped. No, no, it's their fault. And so the only thing that made my mom and dad decide to proceed with anything was the fact that it was $6,000. And so they only filed for $6,000, like just pay for that. Yeah. And then we'll be fine. We're not trying to get rich off this. Right. So it's just, it's a very different mentality in the, in Canada where it's like, it's very hard to, it's very hard to get rich by suing someone here. It's not impossible, but it's very difficult and it's just a bit of a pain in the ass. So everyone's kind of like, it's okay. So I want to, kind of bring things back to students and young people and something you said earlier kind of had me thinking about this is that there's a point in their lives as adolescents, they do adolescently stupid things and you see it online and you think, are they going to grow out of this and that sort of thing. But there's some times where I go, I would kind of rather have the adolescent stupidity rather than the be a dick stupidity. Yeah. Yeah. Where is there that kind of, is there a way we can make sure people stay on the right, take the right off ramp off the highway, so to speak? <laughs> like, like I would like, it's okay to be goofy and wacko. Sure. Yeah. Be, be nice to people. How yeah, do we reinforce I mean, that? I'm not sure there's a necessarily a, a surefire way to make sure people are going to be nice to each other. But I mean, I think the one of the first steps is to make people realize that we all do stupid things. Therefore, you have done stupid things. I have done stupid things. And I don't want to be judged by just the stupid things I do. I want to be judged by how I have learned from the stupid things I've done. And not even in a big sense, like just kind of like, like a funny story is a funny story. Like being a mascot and peeing on another mascot is comedy gold. Right. And the lesson you learn from that is like, 
sometimes you take those chances. Yeah. Sometimes you don't. You just got to evaluate what's happening. And it's, the payoff could be great. And I think that that first step of realizing that we're all stupid and can do dumb things is really important to realize and cutting people slack. That's it. Is the idea of like, I'm not going to judge you by this. I'm, we're going to move on from there. And that was really, really hard through like for, for, I know even just for me personally, like throughout the pandemic, I really saw the whole thing as like a war effort. And it was like, we got to <laughs> do what we can to get together and work our way through this. And not a lot of people felt the same. Not a lot of people. I say 10% of people did not feel that way. Mm-hmm. And I was really angry at those people. And then I had to kind of adjust my thinking and, and go back to a time where it was like, well, no, 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 we, we've, those people, that 10% and that 10% of people changes, those people change all the time. And it's always that 10% right. uh, are always going to be a little bit off. always going to be doing something I think is stupid or dumb or whatever, but that's why we don't let them run the country. That's why we that's- don't let them, we don't let them in charge of public health messaging. This is, there's reasons you're allowed to say these things. You're allowed yeah. to be that idiot, but yeah. you just don't do that. So I think the key with, you know, with parenting or or with when you have kids, you see, do something simple, silly is that, is that yes, they will probably grow out of it and they will learn from it. And, and also, I mean, with, with, if you add technology into that in social media as a parent, it's important to be in those arenas. You don't have to be supervising everything your kid does, but you need to know the forms in which they're playing. It's like, if they're saying, I'm going to go play it, I'm going to go play at this park across town. You'd be like, I should probably go check out this park across town. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at least I know what they're talking about when they talk about the dragon slide or something. I don't know. <laughs> and that's important to do that. Well, if you do that, at least you're You've got, you can handle it better. You can talk to your kids more and try to keep the communication open as much as possible and realize and tell those stories about you being an idiot as well. That's really important too. Just let kids know that it's like, yeah, we're all stupid. And, it's and not it, a pointing a finger. It's, 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 it's sort of, it's a good doing this motion. I'm, I'm waving my hands wildly in the air, that kind of motion. Yeah. It's okay to, to be wrong. And absolutely. And, and I think that our campuses, the people who are supposedly, kind of ushering in the adults for the future Mm. need to be more aware of the fact that they don't have all the answers either and be, be flappable. I I guess my last question for you, Stuart is, is in your mind, what would be a successful human as an adult? Like what, what does that actually look like? What does a successful human look like? I think patience is incredibly important I think cutting people slack is incredibly important because the thing is, is like, we're all, it's this, the life is a one big bottle episode. It's we're all stuck here and we have to get along for the ride. So I don't know if I can handle getting irate every time some idiot says something, I can just choose to ignore them or I can sort of cut them slack and go, okay, let's see if you're going to be an idiot every time. If they are an every idiot every time, then I don't have to talk to them anymore. It's like walking through a bar or something like that. It's like, there's going to be idiots who yeah. tell you your hair looks stupid. You're like, do I want to get into a dialogue with this guy? Does it matter? Does this guy's, does he get some sort of L'Oreal standard that I need to match? No, I don't need to do that. I don't care what he thinks about my hair. See you later. Your your bar analogy and you wrote about in the book reminded me of something I say to my students all the time. I say, what, you're you're going to get to a point in your life where you're going to have your bar friends and your living room friends. <laughs> okay? And there are people, there are people I know to this day at yeah. 56 years of age, I will yeah. meet them at a bar. Right. I will have fun with them at a bar. We are going to have a great time, but That's I am a, not letting that really? asshole in my house. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. So I'd say raise the bar slightly. <laughs> 
It's yeah, that's interesting. That's fascinating to me. <laughs> so, I have very specific standards. <laughs> <laughs> so, Stuart, this has been an absolute pleasure and an honor. Stuart Reynolds is known as Brittle Star on all the social media spaces. Uh, you can find him on YouTube and on Threads and uh-huh. on. On, are you still on Twitter or are you are you still on Twitter? I, I live in hope that it's going to be sold to somebody yeah, that's else. Me and, too. Yeah. <laughs> and all kinds of other spaces. And the book is called Welcome to the Stupid, Stupid Apocalypse Survival Guide for the Dumbageddon. It is a great book. Thank um, you. It is something that just if you need something where you go, OK, I'm not the crazy one. This is absolutely the world. The world is like this. And I now have I have a guidebook on handling it. (laughs) It is worth it. And all the links on how to buy the book are in the show notes. Thank you so much, Stuart. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. It was a riot. I want to thank our guest, uh, Stuart Reynolds, otherwise known as Brittle Star. That was great. I loved every second of it. Uh, Nothing like someone who makes you smile and someone who makes you laugh to get you thinking about uh, how to kind of move forward, even in times that seem a little bit overwhelming. You know, it is that time of year. Uh, this show is uh, dropping in, uh, I think, the second or third week of October. Um, and it's that time of year. We've come up off of, you know, we're just closing out what we call that like six weeks of campus uh, being open. And when things are at the highest level of stress and our students are starting to really feel it and our our faculty and our staff are seeing it in real time. So I can't think of a better time for us to have had our guest, Stuart. Please make sure that you check our show notes and uh, find his book. Again, Welcome to the Stupid Apocalypse, Survival Tips for the Dumbageddon. Um, it's a wonderful read and available at uh, brittlestar.com. And there's other links uh, in the show notes. So please find that and uh, support our guest. Thank you for being an Office Hours listener. Uh, in order to grow our community, please rate, review, and share the podcast with your network. I would really appreciate it. And hey, don't forget the show notes. I just talked to you about that. All right. So there you can find more information, obviously, on today's guest and today's show. And of course, details on how to follow me, Dr. DeVoe, on social media and become a subscriber to my podcast and my newsletter. Thank you to our wonderful producer, David Yaz. Office Hours is a production of Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts. Now get out there and learn something.